Welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky, and listen, you tuned in last week, and you heard the mad ramblings of me comparing the 76ers collapse taking an edible. You'll know why we have a guest on the podcast this time, because it was a disaster. So uh, welcome back, Marshall Macaluso. What's up? What's up? You know, we've been meaning to, we, we have like a text group chat or whatever, we've been going back and forth, and the content in there is phenomenal, it's a damn shame, we can't make it It really public. is, it really but is, someone should do a think piece on that. We, we've been arguing so much the past couple weeks on there that we're like, you know what, we gotta get this man back on the show, he's been busy with his schoolwork, he's learning how to educate your children in the future, so he's yes, doing, yes. He's, he's doing, he's busy, he's busy, we'll put it that way, but Marshall, how have you been? <laughs> Oh, it's been it's been good. You know, I just have been a lot of uh, you know watching Panopto lectures on 1.5 speed while an NBA playoff game is muted in the background. Uh, can't really complain about that. So uh, yeah, the, enter- the playoffs have been extremely entertaining thus far. So I have uh, very much enjoyed it. I would imagine the lectures on Eastern European history don't quite compare with like a Mike Breen call, but I'm sure the games are exciting. Yeah, <laughs> but all right. First thing I want to get into, and listen, for all of you that have listened the past couple weeks, you know I'm a huge Chris Paul fan, uh, and I don't tolerate much Chris Paul slander, and now I see the Suns win a couple games without him, and Marshall here wants to disregard uh, the MVP candidate, Chris Paul. I, you know, oh, I the MVP candidate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, just because they won a couple games without him does not diminish uh, diminish what he has done. I'll let you make your point first, and I'll respond that way. The viewers, the, the listeners here have a little bit of context, but the floor is yours. Okay, so I, I guess I have a... He was on that streak of like zero turnover games, uh, where it was like a bunch in a row. It was pretty impressive with like a bunch of assists too. Uh, and I'm like, you know, he could be in the conversation for the MVP. And I can't lie, the main reason why I said that is because I watched a, like probably around 75 minutes of Phoenix Suns back- basketball up to that point. And you know, I'm not trying to discredit Chris Paul. He's the second best player on the Suns. He obviously adds a huge element. Um, to their locker room and uh, their culture. But I think the main issue I have with all the attention Chris Paul is getting is, like, uh, their coach, uh, Monty, is, like, being completely overlooked by many. And he he really, like, I truly believe he is the main reason why they are what they're doing. I mean, I think that when you look at a lot of the guys on the roster – Obviously, there's talent with Evan Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Like, we knew that. But I think Ayton was, like, he was just, like, a pretty good center at the time. And now he's really elevated his game. Uh, you got guys like Cameron Payne playing well. Uh, Dario Sarge is making an impact. Uh, Jay Crowder, who, like, you know, played with LeBron and looked like one of the worst shooters of all time. He's having a good offensive and defensive impact. And I really think that, like, this can be traced back to the bubble where they went 8-0. and and I know it's like, you know, whatever. It's the bubble, and it was like, didn't even make the playoffs. But I, but I think Monty was the culture. He, he built the culture, and then on the court, they added Chris Paul, which kind of just, like, topped off their element. Um, 
and that's why I do think that Chris Paul is a big reason of their like playoff success. Um, but the fact that they got the one seed and that they've been playing really well is, I, I think, is really because of the culture that was set with uh, with their coach. Uh, and like I think Devin Booker and those guys have really like fed into that uh, uh, impact that he's had. Uh, but yeah, that's just my two cents. I think I I do think the national media loves Chris Paul, uh, and you know it got uh, he 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 is certainly a guy who likes likes to work the media. I mean, he was talking about after the Lakers. I believe it was when they beat the Lakers. He was like, you know, I was a guy who wasn't even supposed to be here. It's like, bro, you're literally the number two prospect coming to the NBA. Like, you are a guy who was supposed to be here. You've been, like, a top prospect your entire life. Um, yeah, I just think the media kind of, like, eats him up and, like, his storyline. But, yeah. All right, I think there's some valid points there. And it's not to discredit what Monty Williams does. I mean, obviously, the play he drew up with that extra timeout, which was bogus, mm-hmm, which we'll mm-hmm. get into later. That was a phenomenal play call. He has set a culture there. Devin Booker is a walking bucket. He's going to get you like 27 a night in his sleep. Uh, but I think what he, the fact that, number one, after both of those games, the first thing they did before they were even in the locker room was FaceTime Chris Paul. It just shows the impact he has on that team as far as setting the culture there and like all, all of that. Uh, so I think that that's a huge deal right there because you can tell how much he means to the team. Number two, if you look at his track record, he went to the Thunder, which is a garbage team. Uh, he had Lou Dort uh, put the Rockets team. That was a much more talented team on the ropes in the first round. The fact they even made the playoffs was a miracle. Then he comes to a Phoenix team that, yes, they played well in the bubble, but their record during the regular season really wasn't that good. And now the fact that he's elevated everyone's games by so much, just DeAndre Aiden in the pick and roll, how he's kind of unlocked his offensive uh, uh, ability and really maximized it. Uh, I think he helps Booker out a lot. He takes a lot of load off of his shoulders, the way he sets up everything. And his numbers are never going to jump off the page. But I think he deserves all the credit he's been getting. Uh, and that's what, really what's elevated this team from where they were last year to this year. But I, you know what? He does get... He has been getting a whole lot of attention. Some of it may be yeah. a little overblown. But I think most of it's deserved. Because for most of his career, Chris Paul was never regarded as, like, you think top point guards in the NBA, most people, like, Chris Paul is kind of an afterthought. So it's like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good there, too. But, you know, I mean, you, know, you have Russ a trade in the Kyrie by the league office back in the day. I understand what you're saying, though. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Uh, all right. Let's get into the, the Pacers, or not the Pacers, Jesus. Pacers? <laughs> not the Pacers. We're not going to talk about the Pacers. The um, 76ers. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Ben Simmons kind of had a collapse there. Uh, well, that's an understatement. Uh, he was scared to yeah. shoot in, in like four quarters of play. A lot of people are calling to trade him. Uh, my thought process is that, Liz, I think there's reason why you, you should trade him I think at this point he can't shoot he's shown he, he hasn't put in work in which is concerning he clearly has not improved his free throws which have been a problem ever since he got in the league and it's still kind of a problem now but I would contend he's still 24 years old he's been in the all-star game twice yeah you know there's some length there in size with the, the fact he's able to dribble as well with his size I think people are being a little bit too hard on him early like he he's getting a lot of flack here and I don't yeah. think it's completely his fault Doc Rivers I think shoulders a little bit of blame now listen Ben Simmons deserves a ton of blame but like you read it it's like Ben Simmons lost the game it's like well the 76 has kind of lost the game there's they blew a couple huge leads and Bede was quiet in that fourth quarter of the previous game so I don't know. Do you think the Ben Simmons criticism is fair? And if you were the 76ers, are you trading? I think the criticism is fair, but, like, it shouldn't be long-lasting criticism. Uh, I mean, the fact that, like, he he literally, like, 
he's a max contract player that was such a liability on the offensive side of the ball that like they take him out in big games. That just show, goes to show, uh, you know, you know, missed missed free throws, you know, missed, uh, you know, you know, people are gonna miss their shots. Like it happens. But the fact that a he didn't even take shots and b he couldn't even be like trusted to be on the floor, I think is like so concerning. Uh, if you're the Sixers, and I, I think that really is, um, I think that really is what kind of is gonna be what from my from my opinion should be should be the reason that he's not gonna play in Philly next year. Uh, I know, I mean, there's so many people. It's the playoffs, man. Like, there's gonna be losers, and like, you know, we see like Paul George, you know, misses free throws. But like, if you're missing your shots, you're missing your shots. It happens. You know, Harden goes cold in Game Seven. Like, it happens. But the fact that like you can't even be trusted to be on the court is like, bro, like you have to be better than that. He shot what? Four field goals, uh, in, in the fourth quarter of, of every single game that series and made like, like, I think, I think he actually made all four of them, but he only took four in seven games. Like that's brutal. You, you, you have to, even if you're going to miss your shots, you have to be at least an option out there because like, I mean, you know, Seth Curry can only score 30 points so many games um yeah and i i think that he he is damaged goods uh but he's 24 and i think he's still got a lot of potential he's a very good defensive player as we've seen um yeah i mean it's just not working and it's it's strange too because you know we've seen that this is not the first time we've seen philly draft the number one overall pick and then have that number one overall pick be completely psychologically destroyed (laughs) yeah uh uh, I mean, see Markel Fultz, you know, and it, it you know, Markel Fultz got dumped off the magic for not a lot. And he's played better. He's not been like, you know, uh, the the flourishing of a number one pick like DeAndre Ayton or anything like that. But uh, he's been uh, he's been fine. He's been he's been good. He's got he's got his shot back, which is most important. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it is tough. And I do think you, you make a good point. I think I think his, his flaws are are like entirely his fault. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's not like an injury. It's not like he can't stay healthy. You know, it's not like his his skill set is just limited. It's like, bro, work on your shot, dude. Like, I, I don't understand. I understand for centers if you can't make your free throws. Like, you know, you know, yeah. But like, I mean, Giannis is even shooting threes. He ain't good at right. it. Right. Get out, get out there and put it up. But yeah. And he had his struggles at the line too, Giannis. And at least in that game seven, he wasn't scared to go to the line. Like he attacked, mm-hmm. and he made just enough to like, okay, he's like sufficient. But he's not a good free throw shooter by any. And he had the same thing where like people were making fun of him for the ten seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's a big psychological thing to overcome. And he still attacked. I mean, the lack of dog in Ben Simmons is kind of concerning. I and it's it's all entirely fixable. But that's a good point with the Markel folks. It makes you wonder with the 76ers, uh yeah, situation like, a, of it. like the, the culture. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, and it's not even, it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't Doc Rivers. It wasn't even Daryl Morey at the time. So, like, I don't really know. Maybe it's just coincidental. Well, um, I also find it interesting. Yeah. The first thing Doc Rivers does, and they ask him, like, hey, do you think you can win with Ben Simmons as your point guard? And he's like, well, I, I don't really know. I think he's th- he kind of threw him under the bus there to cover he his ass. He did. Because he, he knows, like, oh, shit, this is, like, last year all over again. I haven't 
team that really underperformed in the playoffs. Let's say, like, the Hawks is a five seed. Like, that, that's a series you should have won. Like, it's not... No, absolutely. Absolutely. The fact it went to a game seven was concerning enough, and then you'll lose that game seven. And then Joel Embiid's asked the same thing. Like, what was the turning point? It's like, well, when we had an open layup under the basket, and we passed up the shot yeah. and got one point instead of three. See, he throws Ben Simmons under the bus there, too, so... It's clear the locker room's kind of turning on him, so I think it might it might be time to uh, ship him out. But I, culture yeah. there is not, uh, yeah, not great. And, and it's 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 unfortunate, you know. I, I I mean, I guess they really thought that he could kind of improve his scoring game. Um, but yeah, I mean, at this point, like Embiid is playing pretty well. I, I will say though, uh, Clint Capella said early on in the series that um, that like Embiid starts out super hot, and then once he gets tired. He doesn't play so play mm-hmm. so well, and I, we kind of did see that. I mean, there's a lot of big leads slipping away. Um, so, like you know, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is a, the biggest problem that the Sixers have, but he's not the only problem. I mean, you got Tobias Harris, if you're paying a whole lot of oh, money to score against the Wizards, but no one else. You know what I mean? I that mean, was, it's, yeah, it, it, that, that that team, that team. I mean, if I'm them, your best shot is really like cashing in on Joel Embiid. Um, but it's funny because Daryl Moore is like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teams who like would love to be in our position. And it's like, yeah, I mean, like you are winning games and going to the playoffs. So you're better off than like the, you know, Orlando magic right now, I guess. But like you have, a, you have, you have one dude who's really good. He can't really stay healthy and has conditioning issues, which can be fixed. You have another dude who you took number one overall who is psychologically broken and has a fundamental like skill that he has not really worked on and is pretty atrocious at the moment. And then you have another dude who's supposed to be a scoring guy in Tobias Harris who paid a ton of money and like he just he he smokes layups and like can't really put up like twenty five a game in the playoffs like you need him to. So like I don't really know what you do with that. I don't know who's getting traded, if anyone's getting traded, I don't really know where they go from here. So you're Daryl Morey right now. Would would you trade Ben Simmons? Are you are you still trying to run it run it back again? Uh yeah, but yeah, I would I would trade Ben Simmons. And I I will say that there's I I think there's more team like obviously his stock is not nearly as good as it was at the beginning of the playoffs. You know I understand that, but like there's a lot of teams who like could benefit from Ben Simmons, and there's a lot of teams out there who uh you know. Can can fix him. I mean, geez, like campaign was playing in China two years ago, and he dropped twenty nine points against the Los Angeles Clippers in in a big playoff game last night. Like you know, player players can be fixed with the right coach in the right situation. Um, so I think I think I honestly think he will get traded. I think there'll be a taker out there. Um, but yeah, the fact you know I wasn't even going to bring this up, but like the fact campaign pisses me off. This is a guy that we we, we traded Taj Gibson for him. Who well, I love Taj back in the day. And like, oh, we're getting this backup point guard to Russell Westbrook. And he's like, oh, the backup to Russell Westbrook. Well, I mean, there's a, probably a reason he's the backup. Maybe there's some potential here. It's Cam Payne from the Thunder. It's like, okay, that sounds interesting. Well, apparently, according to a Bull Scout, two practices in, they were like, yeah, this guy's not an NBA player. The first practice, we thought he was just nervous or whatever. That's okay, whatever. And then the second practice, we're like, yeah, this guy belongs in the G League. And now he's out here balling. It's ridiculous. It's like, what the yeah. hell? Where was this guy? Um, so I guess Monty hey, it's Williams all about probably the fit, I guess. And Monty Williams I mean, is interesting enough because he was in China and they they called him, I guess, before the season started or during the bubble last year. And he's like, hey, because he they coached him. He was an assistant, I guess, in um, uh, Oklahoma City. He's like, hey, do you want to like come on come on board? And he's like, oh yeah, I'll hop on. And all of a sudden, he's flourishing. 
makes yeah. me sick. Yeah, oh. it's all about. I, hey, just goes to show. It's all about a lot. A lot of good coaches out there. You know, I mean, we're watching the Atlanta Hawks, and that they're they're really benefiting from a coaching change right now. True. All I, about all about the culture and the fit, I guess. It's an indictment on the Bulls. Too. Like even Daniel Gafford. He leaves, and all of a sudden, yeah. he's parachute dunks. He's running the pick and roll with rest book. I'm like, where the hell was this guy? But, yeah. All right. Off the, off the ledge there. <laughs> Bulls woes aside. <laughs> yes. Uh, playoff P, Pandemic P. He's got a lot of nicknames. He was kind of on a uh, he was on a good redemption arc there for a while. Kawhi goes down. He leads him past the Jazz, which I thought was a phenomenal uh, yes, victory for them. That was a big upset. Um and he looked pretty good doing it. He had a couple games of 30 points in a row, and it looked like he was about to steal a game uh, last night in San Antonio, or San Antonio, in Phoenix. Uh, and then he missed two free throws at the end, and the redemption are shattered. All the jokes are back. The, the yeah. memes are back. What do you make of Paul George's postseason to this point? Uh, because it's been an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, it's not, like like you said, I mean, he, he was having a stretch of, Gosh, probably since, uh, probably like, yeah, since Kawhi went down. I mean, he was playing well against the Jazz. Uh, I, I mean, since game three of the Jazz Clippers series, when they actually started playing well and winning. Um, and uh, up until he misses two free throws last night, he was doing really well. And, you know, Paul George, not the most likable dude in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was stringing together performances, and he was playing like they thought he was going to always play when they traded a bajillion draft picks up until i'm 65 years old uh to the thunder um but yeah i mean i, I was pretty impressed you know there, there's only so poor so so many poor performances a guy can put up until he kind of starts to figure it out or at least theoretically speaking um yeah that is that was extremely unfortunate but then again ball don't lie that Pat Bev, uh, when he knocked the ball away from Devin Booker, that should not have gone to the Clippers. And so uh, the basketball gods intervened uh, to uh, the dismay of Paul George, I guess. Yeah. I See, that rule, the whole thing, the fact that it took 90 minutes to finish 33 seconds of that game, or the, I think it was a minute. The last like 90 seconds of the game took minutes. 33 minutes to finish. Which, I don't, do you think this is a problem in the NBA? Because here's what my... The NBA is one of the few sports that when the game's going down the wire and it's a close game, the action almost gets worse at the end of the game because you're getting a bunch of uncontested shots and free throws and then all of the stoppages and timeouts and the replay reviews that took forever, it was kind of a circus. And I think that's kind of a problem that needs to be fixed. I don't know. What do you they, do you have a problem with it? Because like I, I was watching that and it was like this is this is terrible. Like <laughs> this is I mean bad. I think the only solution you can have is like shorter replays. Because like, okay, the the like for instance, and I'm just going off the top of my head, the Pat Bev Devin Booker thing, I mean, that in all seriousness, that should have ended the game. If Paul George can make some free throws you know, that, that replay goes from Suns ball down one to then they have, uh, yeah, they're yeah, down Suns three, ball yeah. down one, and then now they're down three if Paul George hits those free throws. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a huge swing. I mean, and then you have um, the ball going out of bounds, uh, and that gave the time for the, uh, the lob dunk. I mean, that can be from anywhere from like a couple seconds to like ball game you know that's a huge call and then i mean the clippers royally messed it up with like a fader from 
35 feet for Paul George. But they, they, the buzzer went. I mean, the, the benches were on the court, game over, and then they're like, wait, we need to review this. I understand that it is, like, annoying. And trust me, like, I, you know, I am fully aware of the issue, and I am annoyed by it, too. But, like, would you rather have a blown call end the game? Like, would you rather have the, the Saints-Rams, like, blown call? Or would you rather actually have them get it right and you have to, like, wait longer? You know what I mean? Like, and I understand. And, like, the same thing goes even if it isn't reviews and if it's, like, timeouts and fouls. It's, like, it is what it is. It's the game of basketball. It's, like, when you're down by three or five, you just have to foul the other team and hope they miss their free throws. And it takes a super long time. But it, it's that's the game of basketball. And, and I'm like, you know, with other sports, you have these, like, balls going out of bounds where it can be, like, just a, a finger can, like, impact the game on who went out last on. I am of the unpopular opinion that, like, as long as they get the call right, like, it is what it is. Yeah. I'd rather see the right call and a longer time. Uh, you know, I will say, though, some of those replays are ridiculously long. So I guess that's one thing where it's like the NBA can tell the refs, like, look, you got to, like, make your decision uh, with the utmost confidence, but you got to make it, like, no longer than X amount of minutes. I don't know. Yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of them you look at, and by, like, the second or third time, you're like, okay, I can see whose yeah, ball no, this is. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you. It's like, dude, we, like, I don't know what other replays you guys have, but. with the, Sticking with that series, before we, before we move on, uh, at the time of us recording this, the Clippers are down 2-0 in the series. Seems to be their sweet spot the past couple of games. Tyron Lue's done a nice job throughout the playoffs making adjustments, which I'll be honest, I give him a lot of credit as a head coach. Because before yeah, I was like, oh, LeBron's sure. carrying him. You know, he's just like a locker room chemistry guy. But the fact that you look at a lot of these matchups, like DeMarcus Cousins didn't play a full series. Like he uses his full bench based off of matchups. Or he's like, oh, now all yeah. of a sudden, okay, Rondo. now we, I like Rondo. the matchup. Yeah, Rondo will go a couple nights not playing, and then he'll put him back in based mm-hmm. off what he sees. And it's worked to him to this point. I like the adjustments he's making. Do you give him a chance? By the time I think people will be listening to this, it should be close to game four uh, or game three. Did the Clippers have a chance in the series, or are you nailing the coffin, Suns are going to the finals? I mean, man, if Chris Paul is probable tomorrow and Kawhi is officially out, uh, I don't know. I think that, like, the reason that they got past the Jazz was because they kind of went small ball. Uh, Terrence Mann is a, is a you know, power forward who can shoot the three. Um, and they really, they really feasted on Rudy Gobert's lack of being able to defend the perimeter. Um, and I guess they even kind of attacked him in the paint, which he couldn't really defend with, like, Reggie Jackson and such. Um, but, like, I don't know. I, I feel like his, his bag of trips is kind of is kind of done at this point. I mean, they were able to do a pretty good job of limiting Devin Booker and using Patrick Beverly. We didn't play against the Jazz, but, I mean, Patrick Beverly was annoying the crap out of Devin Booker last night, and it was working against him. Um but I mean, I don't think you're getting under Chris Paul's, you know, hood. I, I think he's he's locked in. They're up, they're down two or up two zero. Um, I don't really see what matchups that he can really like kind of uh, expose because they've just played. I mean, the Suns as an all around all around team from game one of this playoffs has been playing extremely efficient, extremely well. Um, and I don't I don't really see him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, he. He'll have to pull off a miracle. We're going to have to see some, like, you know, Kings 
King's Time Boogie Cousins or something like that, but I think it might be Raps. I, I, I totally agree. And if you look at the two series they did win, there's a lot of flaws in both of those teams. The Mavericks, they had five and a half players. They have no bench. It was the Lucas show, yeah. and after that, it was like so... By the end of that series, you could tell they were worn down and shot. It was a great matchup for them. The Jazz, as much as I love the Jazz, very deep team. They're more like slow-footed, so the athletic wings, the guards, they're not very good at defending them. Outside Donovan Mitchell, yeah. they don't have a ton of like athletes on the team. Yeah, especially with Mike Conley being hurt. So too. it was a horrible matchup with Paul George and Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson. You got all these athletic guys and... Rudy Gobert's having to come out to the three-point line, so I, I can see that. The Suns are, like, deep everywhere. Like, they got yeah. campaign, they got guys that can shoot, and that Aiden's a problem. I don't I don't see it happening. Other other series, Milwaukee, they overcame uh, the Nets. Now, my one thought on this series was uh, Kevin Durant, like, his performance out that series, well, number one, when you have a super team, this is the thing that's overlooked, is you're paying the three guys, you're not going to have a bench. And all of a sudden, some guys get hurt, and it looks like he's carrying the 2018 Cavaliers out there. But I kind of, this yeah. is why I'm kind of <laughs> mad he joined a super team, because, like, you kind of, we kind of missed out Kevin Durant's, like, main stage of, like, carrying, like, the. I don't know, like the LeBron with the Cavs, his second stint, where he's like carrying teams, he can truly appreciate his greatness. Like what he did that playoff run in the games five and seven there was like, wow, I almost wish he wasn't on this super team because we could be getting this all the time from Kevin Durant, which is a lot to ask, but yeah. I think it would have been cool and we were kind of robbed of it. But Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really knock him for the super team thing because like initially speaking, it was him and Kyrie with like a pretty deep bench uh, and then like just, I don't know, no one really – seemed like they wanted to pull the trigger philly uh philly and uh uh who was the other team gosh uh the heat the, the heat, heat. Yep. uh who, who didn't end up training for james Harden. i mean good good god in hindsight i mean james Harden did get injured so i guess like you never really know but goodness i mean if you you think if you would right now would you trade ben simmons for healthy james harden it's like uh, yeah. yeah absolutely no brainer not even close to thinking about it uh but they didn't and here we are uh with the super team bam yeah, man Kevin Durant, I will say, you know, he had a phenomenal performance and he looked completely gassed at the end of it. Um, which, like, I mean, I hate to bring up the, the, the guy who runs the show for the NBA, LeBron, but, uh, you know, it just kind of makes you appreciate the fact that he can even get his boo-boo teams to the finals in the first place. Um, because, yeah, that, that's, it's, no, it's no easy task because um, he really was carrying the load on that Nets team. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Bucks definitely benefited off some injuries. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in this Hawks series. A young, uh, fiery team who's got a lot of drive, a lot of hunger. Mm -hmm. didn't even really and, – and, and the other thing, too, about the Hawks right now is, like, okay, there was a series, like, whatever. We didn't even know if you were going to get out of the first round, much less make the playoffs. I mean, they were they were pretty bad in the first Below round. Below 500 at the All-Star break, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They weren't even really supposed to be here. Uh, they're just playing for, like, you know – uh, experience, I guess. I don't even know. Like they're, they're, they've been uh, exceeding their expectations. And then you got the Bucks on the other hand, who have you know locked up Drew Holiday and max contract. You know Giannis is staying there for a long time. I mean, they they really want to get this one done, and I can tell that they can feel it. Um, that this could be their year after many many disappointments. Well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that kind of felt like the de facto conference finals, which is why I think the Hawks Definitely. early could surprise them because I think, I know my friend was in Milwaukee when it happened. He's like, dude, walking around the streets, you would think we just won the NBA title. Like, it was wild, and I think the team kind of, you look at them afterwards, like that sense of relief 
Boonholzer was coaching for his job. So, like, you know, I think that early in that series, the Hawks might surprise them, uh, especially that game one. Maybe you see an upset or whatnot. I guess, you know, it won't matter because game one's going on right now. So, but if you're listening to this and they upset him, just know I don't know the score and this is what I am predicting. But uh, if not, yeah, maybe the I'll look Hawks like are down by like six right now. So well, as maybe. I was saying, the, the Bucks are a much better team and they are probably going <laughs> to sweep the Hawks because they don't match up well. Um, now, wait, the last thing I want to say with the Nets is, and Kevin Durant, do you almost think, because you kind of have to be careful while he has the super team there, you got to be careful who you're choosing your stars with. Kyrie, kind of flaky. You don't know what you're going to get. And James Harden, the postseason, uh, he's come up flat a couple times. And th this postseason, you know, I would, I don't want to say he came up flat, but he was, he was kind of useless out there in game six, and he was hurt. And yeah, but game like, seven, he was, he was pretty so inefficient. Hurt, bro. I mean, I, I think, I, I honestly can't make any, uh, you know, predictions, judgments, uh, neither this, the playoffs for the Nets is neither here nor there for them because like, I mean, the injuries just took out two of their, their top three guys who they're really going to rely on. I mean, like you said, like, you don't have a lot of depth and they, 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 you know, they made their bed. They got to lie in it. Two, two guys get hurt and you only have like one playmaker plus Joe Harris who forgot how to shoot a three point shot oh, that was um, so sad. Like, in that series. Yeah, that that was that was pretty tough. I don't. Need, I wasn't um, even rooting for the Nets, but I usually root for like the guys I can relate with. And Joe Harris, like when I picture myself on the floor. I'm like, yeah, I could be that guy. So I really kind of wanted him to make that. And it's like, <laughs> oh god, picture him getting yeah. bullied in the locker room by Kevin Durant. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah I mean, I don't know. I, I think Harden. Honestly, Harden's job was like just pretend to make it look like you can shoot a three, so they know they can't just double team Durant the whole time. He's pretty much just like a decoy out there um, because like. I mean, you th it looked like he had a tattoo sleeve on uh, a KT tape they had on his leg. His hamstring was like, goodness, they smoked that thing 12 hours in the smoker. It was about to fall off the bone, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't really hold uh, this playoff series against them. Because even with just Kyrie and Durant, it looked like they could pull away. I mean, they won those first two games fairly easily. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, all right. On to the, I mean, we kind of we touched on it a bit uh, with the the Bucks uh, Hawks, I guess. Well, who who do you who do you have in your final? We'll go NBA Finals. We kind of touched on the Suns, I guess we predict. But who you got in the finals right now? Yeah, I mean, I think Suns in five. I'll give them a gentleman sweep. Uh, that is assuming Kawhi doesn't play at all. I think the Clippers are talented, uh, pretty a very deep team, um, uh, and so I think they can get a game. But like, I don't know. I, without Kawhi, I just don't really think they have that superstar power. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think unless Capella and John Collins can, like, really play well in the paint and they can clog it with, like, Gallinari, uh, and if, if Bogdanovich can get, get right with his knees, kind of tweaked, um, he's kind of missing his three-point shots lately, which he was very, very good at early on in the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I, take, I will say the Bucks, they, they I think they're going to win it, and I think that's not, like, a hot take or anything. But if I'm them... They got to get it done quick. They mm. cannot have another seven-game battle. Like, they got to take care of business and rest up because I think the Suns are going to have the benefit of a lot of rest uh, if they can finish off the Clippers pretty quickly. Yeah, and that happened with the 76ers because the 76ers are a much more talented team, and I think, the, once again, the Bucks are a much more talented team. But you give the Hawks a little bit of hope and, like, hey, we can do this, and you get them motivated yeah. early and they don't put them away, then they're going to be hard. They're going to be pesky late in the series. I think that's an excellent uh, point there. All right, NFL world. Big news came uh, came out this week. Uh, 
no pun intended there. Uh, we had uh, Carl Nas or Carl uh, Carl Nassib, yeah. the Oakland Raiders. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, yeah. uh, who came out? He's first openly gay NFL player, and I, you know what? I think good for him. First off, I, it is like a really big deal because it's hard to do in the NFL. And so I know that most of the people, obviously, this broke earlier this week. Uh, a lot of it surrounded like, oh, you know, like he, he gets the obvious media support and most of the fans yeah. are positive. And then you have like the idiots like, oh, well, I don't care who he's sleeping with as long as he can play. And it's like, well, it is a big deal for this, this, and this. Now, I will say, out of all the predictable support, I found it was kind of surprising. And this is why I think it was such a big deal for him and like really a... Uh, uh, it took a lot of balls, quite frankly, to do what he did in an NFL locker room, which is like a very, uh, it's the most masculine out of all the sports. It's like a, it's a man, it's a yeah, man's game. Definitely. You look, there wasn't a whole lot of teammates that tweeted their support, and the NFL stars that like were like, oh yeah, good for you, Carl. It was very limited, and I think that really shows that that really well, says yeah, there, something. I mean, there was like Saquon Barkley, Julian Edelman. There were some. There was a couple, which yeah, which. But overall, the majority it was kind of it was kind of underwhelming, which like I think t- says a lot. It's like, hmm. So be interesting to see how it plays in the locker room. So I give him a ton of credit because I know it wasn't easy, especially in an NFL type locker room. So I think uh, that is why when everyone's like, "Well, why is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal?" It's like I think overall in the NFL, it's kind of like you know, it's uh, yeah takes a while to get to that culture there where other sports I don't think it would be as big of a deal. I don't know. What do you think of the whole situation? You know what I'm I what I think is that Michael Sam walked so Carl Nassib could run because he, that dude Michael Sam the guy who got drafted by the Rams I believe like yep. 2014 2015 um good player he was openly gay he fell to the seventh round in the draft after being uh I believe he played for Mizzou he was like the yep. uh, one of the defensive players of the year good player falls the second seventh round I mean I don't even know if he made the if he made the, made yeah, the made, two no. man roster, um, yeah. And I'll tell you what the, the the media reaction to that. I remember he like kissed his boyfriend when he got drafted was very different than what we saw, uh, you know, on Twitter yesterday. Um, but yeah, I mean, good for him. I I really think it does show, you know, just like uh, you know, first of all, he donated to charity. That's kind mm-hmm. of like a big thing why he was doing it. So good for him. But yeah, man. I mean. You know, football, I mean, after being a football player and being in the locker room for a long time, yeah, it's not an easy not an easy sport to be, uh, you know, open about anything in uh, with your teammates sometimes. And so, you know, really good for him. Um, yeah, and it just goes to show how he was like, yeah, like I've been wrestling with this for like forever. Uh, kind of just goes to show how like, you know, good for our society, I guess, for progressing to the point where like we can kind of be at this moment and like people can actually – you know, celebrate and appreciate this um, because, you know, like I said, uh, just just not even a decade ago, uh, the tune was very different uh, for this kind of storyline. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was frustrating, too. You look at a lot of the the majority of, like, the, the negative quote comments. It's like, oh, why is this a big deal? This shouldn't be news, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, his jersey became the number one bestseller on NFLShop.com the next day. So it shows, like, people yeah. do care. It is kind of, it is a big deal. Um, so yeah. good for him. Shout out the Trevor Project, which he wanted to donate to. Uh, I th- he also, he's pretty funny. I like Carl Nassar to begin with. Uh, yeah, hard, hard Knocks, knocks baby. star. Yeah. I, he was explaining compound interest, and then he had one funny video. He was, like, talking to his team. He's like, if you spend two hours on Instagram a day, that uh, it totals up to two months out of the year that you're wasting on Instagram or something like that. Uh, he's like, and then the, he was doing the math. He's like, that's two years of your life you're wasting on social media. Which is like, that was yeah. kind of funny. His whole math. These days. Yeah. 
and Todd Haley was making fun of his name, and now he's out of a job. So, oh. haha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what was the last? Oh, finally. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, the MLB implemented their sticky substance uh, stop and frisk checks for the umpires. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week uh, with Tyler Glasnow's comments, but uh, now, now they're kind of you know it's become kind of a circus early on. And I think I don't know what the MLB yes. was thinking. You that is kind of an understatement, to be honest with you. You implement a rule that has not <laughs> been tested in the minors, in the majors. You're just gonna throw it out, and then it's mid-season, not even the beginning of the season, where you can work out some kinks. Just like in the middle of the season, pitchers don't have a whole lot of time to adjust. We saw Joe Girardi almost fight the Nationals bench yesterday. Uh, Max that Scherzer was, was, was played. Strange. Max Scherzer and Sergio Romo. Romo almost played stripper on the mound. Uh, it was Tony Romo like took off his pants. He did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is like I don't know. What do you make of the whole thing? Honestly, I think yeah, it's, it's funny for the content. It says I don't think it's actually like terrible for baseball, but like for pitchers and like just from a manager standpoint, where you could have a guy that's throwing a no hitter and be like. Yeah, you know what? Let's break up his rhythm. Check him for sticky stuff. It's like the sixth inning. It's like, really? So, I don't know. What do you make of it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I'm sure you talked about it uh, when I got announced, but I guess I'll give my two cents. You know, I think, yeah, I think the MLB and, like, one dude who, like, I've never been a massive fan of, um, but, uh, you know, he, he's just a he's just a notable personality in the MLB world. So I guess he got what he wanted. Uh, Trevor Bauer, yeah. uh, dude was absolutely right from a long time ago about this thing where he's like, OK, we have like pine tar and we have like sunscreen. Um, so, like, what if I made my own sticky substance? Because those are technically illegal, but no one cares. And it's pretty obvious no one cares. He's like, what if I made my own? sticky substance that's like super sticky and mlb said uh yeah we don't care or at least they didn't say that but no one cared so he's like fine i'll do it and then he got really really good one of cy young his rpm skyrockets and everyone's like hmm what's going on and then you see a lot of rpm start skyrocketing and then they're like oh what is this and it's like dude it's kind of obvious like you never cared uh and like you said, you know, the, the the fact that it's in the middle of the season, I think is absurd. I think it's really dumb, to be quite honest with you. And I think it's a rule that she needed to be needed to happen because it's kind of getting out of hand. But it's like, bro, you guys have not uh, done anything about it now. But now all of a sudden, now that Pete Alonzo and, you know, all these other dudes, these hitters are speaking out and saying it's unfair. Then all of a sudden, hey, in two weeks, you're going to make this change. It's like, wait, what? Um and I will say, you know, I was very concerned with the glass now thing because he got injured pretty quickly um, because he's like he said, he's had to choke, choke up on his pitches mm -hmm. and kind of like grip it firmer because he can't get uh, he can't get that grip with the sticky substances. Uh, I, I think that this definitely should have been like a beginning of the season because uh, my goodness, I mean, it, who cares if you get lit up in spring training because you don't have like the spin rate right. you used to. Um but now it's like, wait, like now it's almost the all-star break and like teams are truly trying to get in the swing of things. And you see, you know, Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole and these type of guys whose spin rates drop dramatically. I mean, Garrett Cole had the worst, lowest spin rate uh, since like pre-2017 uh, with his most recent start. Um, yeah, it, it is a clown show. It, it just goes to show how like rushed this was, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and how like you know reactionary it was um but yeah i don't i didn't realize when they did this and this is my last point i didn't realize that you could 
that the opponent opposing manager could request uh, like a check it's like wait what like that seems kind of that seems kind of silly and it didn't take more than like a couple innings for a coach to pretty much like take advantage of that rule yeah. um with max scherzer and i didn't realize that like i mean gosh are they hiding spider tech and like they're tiny whiteies i didn't realize they had to check their belts or whatever <laughs> um but uh yeah i just think it was a it did conclude it was a rush decision. They went a little too far. There are some sticky substances that should be okay um, so that guys aren't getting beamed in the face with, like, a curveball that slips. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and, like, if you want to randomly check them once, like, you randomly, like, once or twice a game, they don't know what inning, that's fine. But, like, the manager thing's ridiculous because Max Scherzer had already been checked twice that game. So it was pretty yeah. clear he had nothing on him, and that was he was rolling – let me get him off his rhythm. It was right after a strikeout, too. Hey, yeah, let's check him again. So I can see why Scherzer uh, was upset. All right, before we let you go here, uh, sticking with the baseball thing, Chicago Cubs, interesting situation right now. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to be selling at the deadline. They kind of won a lot of games. Now they're in first place, coming off an ugly series against the, the Marlins. You know, where where are you at with the Cubs right now? Are you, do you have any hope for the rest of the year? Are you selling? Are you buying at the deadline? What are you doing? It's it's too bad because I think like they can't really buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they should, but they can't. Like they literally can't. And it this literally like this goes back to the U Darvis trade. Like that was such I think that was Jed Hoyer saying, Okay, we are probably going to be bad. The the trend of the lack of hitting will continue. So we are going to be sellers at the deadline anyways. Let's cash in for some prod prospects and dump you Darvish's contract. Um, now I understand that they did dump a huge contract, which means a lot of money is freed up, which means that we can, uh, you know, hopefully resign, uh, you know, Javier Baez or Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant or all three or two. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like it, it's it's really too bad because if it, that's that's our biggest weakness right now is starting pitching. I mean, Zach Davies, Trevor Williams, not cutting it, and I understand that we're completely ravaged with injuries right now. And, like, we got dudes who are making their first starts since, like, you know, 2012 for us. And then we release them then after as soon as they get shelled for six earned runs in five innings. Um, yeah, it, it's such a strange situation. Um, and I think that I, I really just got to give props to, like, a lot of the guys who are playing for the Cubs right now. Because, like, this was con- this was assumed to be, like, a lost season. And we're in first place right now. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean... I don't know. I, I I would like them to buy. I think it would make this season, you know, uh, one worthwhile. But what I think is going to happen is we're probably going to make the playoffs if this continues and we get healthy, and then we'll just lose um, because we don't have the starting pitching to make it to the playoffs, um, which is unfortunate. But it is where it is. Uh, the fact that they haven't resigned anyone up to this point and the fact that uh, you know things haven't necessarily gotten a lot better in the pitching department, starting pitching department just kind of goes to show that's like there's not much you can do for the cubs yeah they're in a weird situation it's almost like baseball limbo that especially like chris bryant you know he's having mvp caliber season uh yeah so his stock is at an all-time high but he's helping you win a lot of games and you know he's probably going to be gone after this end of the year so it's like mm, do we ride it out with him even though we know we're not going anywhere do we deal him in the middle of an mvc I, that's that whole situation is very. I think it's a fascinating I mean, storyline, honestly, heading into the trade deadline. Well, the one thing that this season did help is like we had a lot of dudes who are like kind of on the fence 
It's like, who is going to be our priority? And honestly, if I'm the Cubs, and like, you know, Anthony Rizzo's been your guy, like, forever. But honestly, he's priority number two, in my opinion. Priority number one is Mr. Bryant. Resign that man, and then resign Baez or Rizzo. And if Baez or Rizzo, one of those two has to walk, that will break my heart into a million pieces. But, like, baseball is a business, baby. Yeah. Happens. No, I. You know what? I don't disagree. And he likes playing here. I mean, he's no. He yeah, he, does, a whole he, lot of loves, he loves it here. Um, and he said, like, you know, I understand the possibility of me leaving. Like, it's you know, it's out there. But uh, he likes to play in Chicago. Uh, who doesn't, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, Marshall, thank you for joining us. Uh, we yes, covered sir. a lot here today. We covered a lot of bases. We'll have to have you back for the NBA Finals. Um, oh yeah. Hey, well, actually, you're welcome back anyway. You want to come back next week to talk about the Euros? Be my guest. But uh... oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> thank you for listening. Um, yeah. Hope you enjoyed the podcast uh, and have a wonderful rest of your week. All right, joining us now once again. Patrick Cushman, welcome back. It's been a while since we've last had you on. Um, checking in on our White Sox. It's kind of funny how baseball season goes. Uh, you know, they were on a hot streak for a while. One week, they they just came off a great series win over the uh, Toronto Blue Jays and then the Tampa Bay Rays. And everyone's like, oh, we can beat uh, teams over 500. Uh, the Rays, were the, they had the best record in baseball after they beat the Rays. And then they go to Houston kind of got their ass kicked and then they split in Pittsburgh so uh for you right now how are you feeling right now about the uh the White Sox and where they stand um even just looking at the lineup I mean I looked at the lineup today um and after like the fifth hitter Mitchell it wasn't any good and before the season we would look at the lineup and you would say there was no weakness except maybe right field with Adam Eaton but other than that it was a stellar lineup now you look at it and you got guys like Luis Gonzalez, Brian Goodwin, Larry Garcia. Uh, guys who don't really know too much confidence um, or too much fear into opposing pitchers. So they will need to add. They need to add in the bullpen as well. Their bullpen has struggled. The only reliable arms uh, were Crochet, and he has struggled of late, and is Liam Hendricks. Um, they do need to add some bullpen pieces as well. And do you, uh, what do you give up? I mean, their minor league system isn't, you know, great. They have some talent and a guy named Gavin Sheets, but I think that's really the only big prospect they have. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, they just have that guy they drafted in the second round um, last year who is supposedly pretty good. Um, How much quality do you get for him? I mean, can... You can't fix this. You can't fill three holes with, you know, one or two big prospects. Jared Kelly. Yeah, I I agree. Well, Jared Kelly's an interesting one because he uh, should have been a first round. A lot of people had him projected as a first round pick. Um, A lot of scouts even had him graded higher than uh, Crochet. But I think it was something with, like, the money it was worked or he was getting drafted out of high school. He fell, like, the second round. I don't know the reason for that. Um, But so he could be somewhat intriguing. But, no, I I agree. It's one of those uh, you do need to make a move. I don't know who they're giving up, though, because the, the system's not that deep. And I don't know if you want to trade a Jake Berger, who I think could potentially help this team uh, right now a, as it stands. So um, it's definitely an interesting situation f- for sure. Uh, 
Now, out of the three, there's three different guys that they, they're interested in trading for right now. And the big hole is second base, obviously, with Madrigal coming, uh, going down out for the season. Um, and the guys that have st- stepped up and filled in, like and Danny Mendick, he's done an admirable job, but like he's not an everyday player, and it's kind of like it's beginning to show. So I, the, the three guys that I think are the uh, ones on the trade list that I'm interested in, uh, Adam Frazier's the big one. We obviously just saw him in Pittsburgh, had a great series, hits for average a lot like Madrigal, probably going to be an all-star. So that's that's a one there that would be interesting. But the Yankees and Mariners, also interested in him. You're going to have some competition there. Uh, option two, uh, we heard this earlier in the week. Bob Nightingale reported it, and Bob Nightingale, you know, very hit or miss there, but he seems to be in tune with the White Sox uh, reporting. He was one of the first people to break the La Russa story. Uh, Eduardo Escobar is a name that they're they're talking to. He's more of a primary third baseman, but he's played enough infield where he's comfortable at second base. The average isn't really there. He's kind of just an average hitter at this point in the MLB, but he does hit for power. He's got 15 home runs. 2019, he had 35 home runs, so you're getting that from second, that'd be pretty good, and he started his career with the White Sox uh, before being traded, so it'd be kind of a homecoming. The third name that I think would be interesting, and I saw an ESPN article saying this is who they think the Sox should trade for, it's a little bit outside the box, but you trade for Trevor Story, try to convert him for a second baseman for like two, three months, he wants out of Colorado, he's not going to be signing there, Colorado's clearly rebuilding, so they're going to trade, and you'd be getting another power hitter. Like That would really round up the lineup nicely, especially when Eloy returns and could do some damage. But outside the box, shortstop, other teams probably interested in him too. Out of those three, or maybe there's another candidate, like a Jonathan Scope or someone, who would you go for at the deadline? Uh, I'm going for Frazier. I think with Story, uh, I think it's a little too far-fetched for me. Now, we did see Arenado go for very low um, to St. Louis. So maybe if you get a deal like that, kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime, like how the heck did they pull that off, maybe you go with that. Um, I'm not too big on the Eduardo Escobar lead. I really don't like – I would not like that trade at all. Um, But that seems like to be the most likely one. I think that's the most White Sox move I think that they could make. Um but I do like the Adam Frazier. I think Adam Frazier, he, he, he kind of replaces Madrigal um, as well. And But with Trevor Story, too, um, they could have some sort of infield rotation and have him play DH because DH is also yep. a position of which they need help. Um, and we were talking about this yesterday. Um, the Yerman Mercedes, you know, it, it was a great story. It was a great little, you know, tidbit. Like, oh my gosh, this guy—he's a fun guy to be around, but it's over. It, he's done. I mean, it, it, it's done, right? Yeah, um, he's he, great. He's awful now. Um, and so it was a great story. It was a great sentimental thing. Like, oh, you can overcome. He's a fun guy, but uh, they will need to replace him. Uh, whether he gets sent down to the minors or DFA'd, that looks like because I don't want to take him into the postseason with us um, if the Sox make it. Um, so they will have to move him eventually as well. So maybe if you get a Trevor Story, maybe you can re-sign him. Maybe he wants to play DH. Um, he's not a typical DH, but, you know, with baseball ever changing, you know, you never know. Um, so that, there Yeah, you get some versatility there, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think out of the three, Story would be my favorite out of the uh, – uh, 
like just because of the offensive potential he provides. Uh, now, the defense is lacking a little bit there, especially if you're moving him to second, the defense is probably going to suffer a little bit. It's a team that already makes a lot of errors. I think they lead the MLB now in errors. They made another two today against the Pirates and what was an ugly win. Uh, would that concern you at all, or are you just biting the bullet saying, like, hey, we need, some, we need some offense? I think you bite the bullet. I think your pitching is good enough, and offense wins games in the major leagues. Um, and it might lose you one or two games, but ultimately I think it wins you more than it loses um, because right now their offense is struggling, and it will continue to struggle um, if they continue with this kind of lineup. Um, and so I think they really do need to prioritize offense. I know defense is important. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but um, you, you got to score runs to win ball games. Um, and Trevor Story brings that and he brings kind of, a another middle of the order, uh, hitter to it. Now, will they be able to, uh, have the deal in place? We don't know. Um, I personally don't think that with so many suitors, I think Colorado is going to be able to get a better deal than they did with Arenado. Um, so I think it's out of the Sox reach, but you definitely have to prioritize offense, especially when this is such a short term looking deal. Um, if they do want to, if they are concerned about his defense and they say, Oh, well, we're going to be keeping him for a while. Play him at DH problem solved. Yeah. Um, so I think you go, you go with your offense right here. Yeah. It's funny too, with your Mercedes, who you brought up earlier, how earlier in the year we we're talking about like, Oh, this guy is going to be an all-star. He could be an all-star. And now we're wondering if he's even going to be on the roster come all-star <laughs> game time. Um, so that's kind of run its course. Now, are we at all concerned? The road trip, are you selling any of your sock stock, or is it like, hey, ebbs and flows in the season? Do you think this team can still uh, – do you still think this team's capable of winning at all? Um, no, I don't think so. And I I had never had them uh, World Series contenders this year. I think I had them as ALCS at their top. Um, maybe a little bit I had hoped for it. Um, but I just I think their their window they're still very early in their window. But I think that they're um, and as we've seen against New York, against Houston, um, they're just outmatched against these elite teams. And with Robert and Jimenez, oh, they're going to be coming back, but they're going to be rusty. They're still young. Um, I think they're just you know I think they're just too young to come back from those kinds of injuries. I still think they're going to win their division. Yeah. I still think that. They're going to make a run at it, but I don't see them as one of the MLB elites, um, like against Houston. I mean, they were embarrassed against Houston, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and so they're eventually going to have to face a team of that quality, and they're not going to be able to get by them. Well, I think a lot of it is, too, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And Houston was a buzzsaw at that point. They were playing some of the best baseball they've played all season, which didn't help. And they caught us at one of our worst stretches. So I don't think I don't think it'll be as bad come playoff time. But I, it is interesting to look at the bullpen right now, which was projected to be one of the strengths of this team. I think coming in, you look at it in paper, but I, I was one of them that was like, yeah, I think this is why the Sox are going to be so successful because when you get a lead past the sixth inning, uh, they're going to lock it down. Well, it hasn't quite been that way. Evan Marshall's kind of regressed. Cody Hoyer, who looked really good his rookie season, He's kind of had a rough stretch. Uh, Garrett Crochet, now this kind of pisses me off from fans. Garrett Crochet has been excellent for the White Sox. Had an ERA 
like a point four a couple weeks ago. He gave up his first major league home run in two years, which is to be expected. He's only like 20 years old. Um, and then since then, he had two more rough outings. He got tagged for the loss uh, against the Pirates on Wednesday night, and then he had another bad outing beforehand where he gave the walk-off to Houston, and now people are saying they want to trade him, which I think is ridiculous. Now, I will say, if you're going to trade, I think you should. Would you invest in any bullpen help? Because I think you might need another arm to kind of bridge the gap between the uh, to Liam Hendricks, because Liam Hendricks is right now your one reliable reliever, uh, and I would say Michael Kopech will help when he gets back, but we don't know when that's going to be. Uh, I think you need another arm. Aaron Bummer's certain around into form. Or would you would you not give up any assets for a bullpen arm? Would you keep it where no, it is? I wouldn't. Go- I wouldn't um, not this year. Um, especially relievers are a dime um, a dime a dozen. I mean, look at Evan Marshall. Evan Marshall, uh, I think it was two years ago, he had one of the best ERAs from all relievers. Yep. Uh, he was one of our best relievers. Um, and now his ERA is like in the fives and the sixes. So I think if you get like a deal for like a player to be uh, named later or cash considerations from a struggling team and it's a guy with like a four ERA and he can eat up innings and, you know, he's not all that awful, you take it. Maybe you just get another arm because um, it doesn't – and then you uh, – or you offload like a guy like uh, Matt Foster who really hasn't played well at all. Um or and he hasn't really been used out of the bullpen. But you're right. I, I thought the bullpen was really deep. Um, you had Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer, and you, like you said, Aaron Bummer has gotten a lot better as the season's gone on. Um, but I expected him to be a little bit more elite. I expected him to be like one of the better like eight um, eighth inning guys. Uh, he really hasn't. He's been okay, um, but he hasn't been elite like I thought he would. Um, and then with Crochet and Kopech, I, and it, they did start off the season as being like a great one-two combo, um, but with injuries and inconsistency, um, that's kind of gone out the door. So, But I don't think you trade for um, anyone big for a short-term reliever. I, I don't think you do that this year. Um, in coming years, potentially, but not this year. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Actually, interesting enough, one of our better relievers as of late has been Ryan Burr and... It's funny because, like, the MLB had, like, a tweet they put out earlier in February during the offseason. It's like, oh, uh, comment which ML, which MLB player is going to have a breakout season. And he threw himself in the comments and said, me. Which, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're supposed to say that. It was kind of, like, funny at the time. Well, since he's been called back up, he started the season in Charlotte. Uh, he's had seven appearances, and he has not given up a run in eight innings pitched or a hit. So uh, he might be that prophecy might be coming true. He is kind of having a breakout year now. It's only eight innings, but uh, good start for him. Uh, moving on, you know we're both in a White Sox Facebook fan group. You get a lot of funny stuff on there. There's always good arguments that are breaking out. One of the hottest topics, and not even on this, just throughout the city of Chicago, uh, is Tony Larusa and how he's done. And he's I've given him his fair share of criticism on the show here. Uh, it seemed like every week for a while there was another Tony LaRusso story coming up. The, the, the Tony LaRusso storms, though, have kind of died down. We haven't seen one on the, the horizon for a while. Uh, the team's been winning, and it's kind of it's kind of quieted it down. How do you think? And I know you're a Tony LaRusso guy. How do you think Tony LaRusso's done so far this year? You had to give him a letter grade overall. I'd give him a B plus. Um, he's done really well. He's led a team through all these injuries. A lot of teams would be demoralized and it would be losing close games. But this team is really resilient. 
um, this team finds ways to win ugly like today. I mean, they, they're playing some of their worst baseball we've seen all year, um, but they found a way to win today. Um, last night, when it came down to um, you're, we're down by two runs, who makes the pinch hit call? Um, and that leads to a three-run homer. Now, of course, they lost that game, but that's to no fault of Tony Larusa. He did. He made all the right moves um, to try to get them to win that game, um, and he has won them some games. Now, it's not an A because of the mistakes, um, but the s- mistakes have declined. Um, the mistakes aren't, you know, and they're overblown. They're really overblown, and they always will be because it's Tony Larusa, and he was so controversial when they hired him. Um, if it was any other manager, it would have been like, oh, yeah, he might have been able to do that different. But, you know, it's a big deal when he does it. Uh, I think he's won one of the better managers. Um, he's winning games with half of his team. Half of his starting lineup is gone and injured, and he's still leading this team ahead of its division. Um, so you can't blame him. You can't say a manager's bad when he's winning games. Um, so I give him a B plus. I think that's a – yeah, no, I think that's a very uh, fair grade. Um you know, and I and I do not. I'll be honest. It's straightforward. I do not like Tony Larusa. I thought it was a bad hire. I didn't think he'd fit. But where I will give him credit is that, especially with all these injuries here, even early in the year, people would be complete. Why is Jake Lamb in the lineup? Why are they using Billy Hamilton so much? He gave a lot of guys playing time and at bats, so they weren't sitting on the bench and like rusty early. And it's paid dividends, dividends, especially down the stretch where you have an injury and all of a sudden you need to call upon Jake Lamb or Danny Mendick more. Well, they already had some time in the rotation through earlier in the year, so they're not completely rusty. He keeps everyone fresh and involved, which I think has helped. Um, and the fact they've been able to navigate through all these injuries, I think he's done a nice job. And even some of the games they've lost recently, I think it was no fault of his own. I think he set up the bullpen well uh, on the Wednesday night game that they lost. Uh, just the guys didn't get their job done. So I will agree with you. I think he's done that very well. I think from what I've heard, he delegates a lot of tasks to the assistant coaches uh, who like relate to the players better. So he, he kind of has like a football, um, head football coach type approach, I guess, if that makes sense, which I think is smart. And you're right, they're winning games. So you can't complain with how they've done. I, I will give him props for for that and you know a lot of guys wouldn't have played a Billy Hamilton I think he's gotten the most out of him he's getting a lot out of Jake Lamb he's getting the guys are producing they wouldn't usually produce and I think it's because he gives them playing time and gives them a chance to show what they can do what do you think it is about Tony LaRusso overall that like fans overall just can't even like with them winning now it seems like fans just can't seem to like embrace like I've come to accept it but there's been a majority of the fan base that's just like now we saw, like we saw a post yesterday. It's like we need to fire Tony Larusa after today's loss to Pittsburgh. That was embarrassing. It's like, well, what are you gonna do? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll give it to you. But I think it was the initial reaction. You hire an old. I mean, this was, this is a very young team, a very modern baseball team, right? I mean, this is you know the Tim Anderson, you know the having fun in the dugout, um, and most people don't know this. Um, and I said this when they first hired him. Tony LaRusso's first language is Spanish. He's a fluent Spanish speaker. And it's his first language. Um, but he kind of comes across as, like, the old white man who's like, get off my lawn and, you know, play with your, you know, you, right, that old-fashioned, like, you know, like, act like you've been there before and, like, you know, play with class and pride or back in my day, that kind of thing. And so it never really met – it from – you know, looking at it, it didn't look like it was a great fit. 
Then you had the whole DUI controversy, which really isn't that big of a deal. Everyone drinks and drives nowadays. And, you know, so there, and then there's all the hate from the media. And so it just, from the outset, everyone doubted it. And now, and people are very, they're stubborn. And so they're not going to change their minds on it. They never will. They could win five World Series in a row and they would be like, well, you know, if it wasn't, they would win five out of six, and you know, oh, if it was Rick Renneria, it would be six out of six. So people are stubborn, people are stupid, um, and people don't like changing their minds. I think that's the key reason why. Um, and then the little mistakes that cost them like three games this year, um, which out of 162 is really not that big of a deal, it just added fuel to their fire. So they can keep hating, we can keep winning. I don't really care. I think the Facebook group's funny because I can see a bunch of morons arguing for free. Normally, I'd have to ride my bike to the park and watch the homeless do it. But now I can do that in the comfort of my own living room. <laughs> well, going right back to watching the morons argue, another like piece of contention, and throughout White Sox Twitter, you see this too. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, Tony La Russa, most polarizing manager. Yasmani Grandal is definitely the most polarizing player on this roster simply because He's hitting like 150 right now, but his on-base percentage is close to 400. He's leading the team in home runs now, I believe. Uh, he's either first or second. He's got 12 on the season, so I think he's tied for first with Jose Abreu. He's come up with some big hits uh, for the White Sox. He had a clutch game-tying home run earlier in the season against Detroit. He had the pinch hit home run yesterday. The go-ahead hit uh, earlier today. Uh, he had a walk-off double a couple uh, against Tampa Bay. He's come up with some big hits. Uh, you know, and he's, the defense has been here or there, but the analytics show he's one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. Are you team Yasmani Grandal, or you're like, we're paying way too much? Because, like, the big argument's like, he's our highest paid player. He cannot be hitting uh, 150 or whatever it is. I like him personally. I think he's one of the best catchers in baseball. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you team Yasmani or uh, you not team Yasmani? Well, it's difficult because, and this is the way... You know, everyone says, like, oh, in baseball, like, there's only home runs, strikeouts, and walks. And, you know, that's an exaggeration of the truth, except with Yasmani Grandal. He legitimately only walks, hits a home run, or strikes out. I, th- mo- I think more than 50% of his hits are home runs, or it's close to it. But it's, an, it's a substantial amount. Um, so he's kind of what the modern game is now um, of the hit, walk, or the home run, walk strikeout kind of thing um i personally i was frustrated with him early because if he just was striking out a lot and with a low average that looks really bad um and then he had all the he had so many catchers and he had like four catchers in the first like 20 games but if you look at it deeper and you look at you know kind of what he's been able to do he's he's been really good um now sometimes it is frustrating when, you know, he goes on and there's, like, two outs and a runner on second, and you're just like, come on, you just need a single. And you, yeah, I mean. and Great, so that's kind of a walk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And sometimes you just need, like, a base hit. Um, and so that can be a little frustrating. But overall, he's done his duty, um, and he's played well. So I'm Team Yasmani. Um, I think he's performing really well and sabermetrics agrees with me and that's you know the baseline of how we judge baseball nowadays um so yeah i'm team yaz 
And for, you know, a pitching staff that's one of the best starting pitching rotations in baseball, he's doing the majority of the catching. Interesting stat here. Uh, top catchers in the MLB by war since May 1st. Will Smith's number one. Yasmani Grandal is number two in the top catchers in OPS since May 1st. Gary Sanchez, surprisingly number one. He gets a lot of hate in New York, too. Yasmani Grandal, number two. So, I mean, there's two big stats right there. And he, since May, he is heating up. Like, you can see he's kind of got his legs underneath him now. Uh, he's gotten a lot better uh, behind the plate and he, he, even at the in the box as well. He looks a lot more comfortable in there, and the power is kind of returned. Uh, final White Sox thing before we move on here. Uh, do, what are your expectations? Do, you said earlier that you have them kind of flaming out in the ALCS. Is that kind of... If say the Sox make a move, uh, what are your expectations for them for the rest of the year? Do you and also do you even think they will make a move? Because you know, with uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, it's always unpredictable what they're going to let the team do uh, in this window. Do you think they make a move, and what are your expectations for them for the rest of the season? I think they make a move for Eduardo Escobar, um, and he hits 240, and they stay pretty much the same, except they lost. Uh, prospect, but I don't think they're going to have to give up a lot for Escobar. I think it's going to be like a player to be named later, or like their 10th best prospect, or something small like that. Honestly, I don't think they're going to make any monumental moves. I think they just add maybe numbers to it, um, but nothing really else. So, honestly, I think they kind of stay put, um, but they give the illusion that they did something by adding, some, by adding Escobar. Um, but my expectation stays the same. Um, they're going to get as far as their bullpen takes them um, and as far as their um, lineup takes them. And with a, not a very deep lineup and a not very good bullpen, um, they're going to lose a lot of close games. And um, when you play a team like Houston and they get the run, they get the eighth inning run, they get the key hit, the White Sox are going to fall short in that. Um, and I don't think they're going to make a move that does that. Now, if they get a Trevor Story, difference. Uh, this sounds redundant, but it's a different story. Um, but we'll see. I still think it's ALCS. I don't think they make a big move. I, you know, I yeah, I think that that's fair. This team, everyone's like, well, they're still going to win the division. It's like, well, I would hope they'd win the division, even at this current state without a move. Because the division, let's be honest, is not very good, and that was kind of my expectation to win going into the year. So the bare minimum... They need to win the Central. That's the first stepping stone. But I honestly don't think the Houston series was a reflection of them. Um, I think once they get a little healthier and they're getting guys back, because now they're right now, as you mentioned earlier, the last five in the order, it's kind of like a triple-A lineup. Like, Brian Goodwin should not be getting consistent at-bats. Danny Mendick and Leary Garcia are more of a role player in a championship team. You know, once we get, like, these Adam Angles, who I don't even know how long he's going to be out for, but once you get him back and get Billy Hamilton even back, uh, some speed off the bench there, obviously Luis Robert and uh, Eloy, I think you're going to see a much improved White Sox team. Uh, now, we haven't had John for a while, so it's been, you know, th this story's been going on for a couple weeks. We're going to shift gears here. To the NFL, and I think you know where we're going. Uh, we've heard, you know, the Aaron Rodgers saga is continuing. Um, we've heard that, and you know, there's only so much you can take out of like OTAs right now because they're, they're competing against air. But uh, from what we've heard, Jordan Love isn't looking all that great. He's not really impressing people in OTAs. Aaron Rodgers renewed his country club membership, but he still hasn't reported. He's taken a fine. Do you think he comes back to the Packers this year? Uh, and if not, are you concerned with Jordan Love as the starter moving forward? 
No, I I don't think he's going to return, and personally, I don't want him to. I'm done with Aaron Rodgers, and I think the Packers organization should be done. The fan base is done, and when he comes back, he's going to get booed out of the stadium. Um, the relationship's over. Um, it's kind of like, uh, this is kind of, I'm going to sound like Colin Coward and call it a marriage, but, you know, it's like he filed for divorce, and so if he does come back, it's going to be awkward. Um it's like, hey, I'm filing for divorce. I'm, and you know, the fans are the kids, and I'm leaving the family. And then he just comes back, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm back. Is everything okay? No, it's not. We're tired of you. We don't want you. Now, as far as Jordan Love is concerned, he's not ready. Um, in minicamp, there was three days. One day, the first day, he looked awful. The second day, he looked great. He was hitting throws. The third day, it was kind of in the middle. He made some bad throws, but he also made some good ones. That shows to me that inconsistency is that he's not ready. Um, everyone knew this was going to be a project. We thought we'd have more time under Aaron, but guess what? It's Blake Bortles' time in Green Bay. I'm on the Bortles train. and but You know what? Everyone makes fun of Blake Bortles, and you know what? He might not be the best, but he led a team in the AFC Championship game. We have a good roster. We have a good run game. We have, we're going to have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon you know, running 40 times a game. Um, we have a great offensive line. We have Devontae Adams to help him out. And you know what? Our defense is going to be a lot better with a new defensive coordinator. He can lead us to a Super Bowl. Will he? Probably not. But you know what? I'd rather have Blake Bortles there than Aaron Rodgers. I'm <laughs> sick and tired of Aaron Rodgers going on going on national TV, acting like you know this jester. And by the way, um, I think I was telling you this. I have sources, people that live in the Wisconsin area, and they know things. And Aaron's a miserable human being. You know, no one really likes him. His own family doesn't like him. Um, and people have always just tolerated him because he's so good. But now with this, I'm done tolerating him. I'm done with Aaron Rodgers. Um, everyone's saying, oh, he's a future Hall of Famer. His number's going to be retired. I hope to hell it's not. Um, in fact, I hope someone else takes his number from him. Uh, I hope whatever. I'm done with Aaron. It's Blake Bortles' time in Green Bay, baby. Oh my! All right, <laughs> let's unpack here. You're telling me you have a Super Bowl roster, like you said, and you were very close last year. You're telling me that you would piss away this season with Blake Bortles. Like, let's be honest, you're not winning. You're not even winning the division with Blake Bortles as your quarterback. I'm not? sorry, it's I not going to happen. Who, who wins? Who wins the division? Minnesota? I think Minnesota's better, and I think Chicago at this point without Aaron Rodgers is better. Do you think that with with the Bears roster, the Bears? Yeah, I don't know about that. I think the Packers have a better roster than both of those. Minnesota would give it a run, but I still think that the Packers are better coached. But wouldn't you, why wouldn't you, if Aaron Rodgers does decide back, why wouldn't you welcome him back? Like, I understand he's been difficult, but why why wouldn't you want to welcome him back with open arms? That's a generational talent, and you guys have a chance to win the Super Bowl with him. Like, I don't know. You know what, Mitchell? The Green Bay Packers are 13 time world champions. Aaron Rodgers contributed to one. He wants to act like this big shot. He can go be a big shot and host Jeopardy. You know, Green Bay is one of the biggest clubs in the NFL. We don't need him. We don't need him. To I win. would and argue, though, that he's been kind of the reason you've been relevant for this past decade. Because there's been a lot of crap teams that he's kind of carried throughout admit, his career. Yeah, he has done that. He has. But you know what? When it came down to it, how many... Um, now, I won't give him... I won't be like... Because people, they like to blame, they're like, oh, look at his NFC championship record. A lot of those weren't his fault. The one against Atlanta was, that was a total. He did 
carry that team that year. That team was awful. Um, what was the other year they lost that wasn't really uh, – not this past year, but the year they played 49ers. San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, that really wasn't his fault. That team kind of overperformed, um, and their matchups against San Francisco weren't very good. But you know what? 2014 against Seattle. Interception in the end zone, can't finish the game off. Now that people will blame Mike McCarthy, but Aaron Rodgers is part of that. Last year, three interceptions by the defense. What is Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers doesn't do anything. So you know what? I'm tired of hearing he's a generational talent. When it's come up to the big games, he's performed average. He perform- He's an average playoff quarterback. He's great in the regular season when he's beating up against the Lions and the Bears and the Vikings every year. But you know what? When it comes down to it, he really hasn't done all that much. And so your, your solution, though, is Blake Bortles? I right mean, now, come on. That to, sounds a little delusional to me. To, but I, you know what? At least Blake Bortles is going to give 110% on that damn field. Aaron Rodgers won't. He'll be thinking, oh, let me think of this good Jeopardy question. Oh, let me think about my you know, wife and you know, the man I hired to have sex with her tonight. Oh, let me think about my family who I haven't talked to in 10 years. Oh, uh, let me, you know, what can I complain about next? You know, who can I blame this next plan when I inevitably just throw it out the window? So, you know what? I'm tired of Aaron Rodgers. For the most part, all Packers fans are done with him. Um, I'm just tired of him. Um, Everyone's just tired of it. I'd rather just have him walk away than come back at this point. Well, I know, I know he's great. I know he's a Hall of Famer. But I'm just done, Mitchell. I'm done being held hostage by a prima donna diva who clearly doesn't want to be here. And if he doesn't want to be here, that's fine. But you have three years left on the contract. So I mean, if you're not going to play for us, you're not going to play for anyone. I mean, okay. I, th- and you're not alone in this sentiment. It is shocking to me how many Green Bay fans feel the same way. They side with the organization over the quarterback. That You know, fine. It just seems to me, though, it, what it sounds like is uh, a spoiled fan base that's been eating steaks every day for, like, the past six years or so. And now you're going to be settling for, like, an Arby's right now. And it's like, oh, that's okay. You know, the steaks are taking too long to cook. I, I just feel like it's, I don't know. I would put up with the because you got teams like the Browns and us the, the, over here in Chicago. I mean, you guys have been lucky enough. You had two franchise quarterbacks back to back, and we we haven't had one since Sid Luckman. I feel like, uh, yeah, you kind of you do have to be held hostage by a, a player of Aaron Rodgers' caliber. But that's just me. You know, I <laughs> best of luck to you this this upcoming season, I guess. Um, so your but so but your bet though would be he's not like regardless of your feelings that you don't want him to come back if you if you had to put money on it you're saying he's not coming I, back I playing the Packers I don't think he's coming back I think maybe at the beginning if he like I I think it was too early to call it when all that stuff came out at the draft but now it's not showing up to minicamp more stuff is coming out about it it gets worse and worse by the day. And it's not going to end well. It's not going to get to the point where he comes back. It's past that point, Mitchell. It's yeah, I, past the point of no return. So and I feel like from what's said on both parts. So then at this point, then, why not just trade him? Because I feel like you could you could trade him to like a Denver, and they got two, three quarterbacks on the roster right now. You could get a Teddy Bridgewater in return. And that's a serviceable quarterback that I think you could win some games with. Why not? Why not just trade him at this point then? Why bother keep go through He's this drop? Got three years left on his contract. That's why. 
If he doesn't want to play for us, who knew a quarterback could hold out with three years on a contract? You saw, if you didn't want to play, why'd you sign the damn contract? You know, and so he's acting like, oh, yeah, I don't like my contract. Well, you just signed it two years ago, and you knew what the hell you were signing. Well, I don't so think you knew they were going to draft a quarterback. I think that's what he's more upset about. Oh, there. oh, he, they drafted a quarterback. Oh, he's such a crybaby. He, he is just such, he is such a prima donna. He's such a drama queen. That I'm surprised him and Danica Pat. You know why him and Danica Patrick is because they kept trying to blame each other for the things. Because they're literally the same person. They just blame everyone else but themselves. They cry all the time. And it's never their fault. It's never their problem. It's unbelievable with the, with Aaron. I am so sick and tired. And, you know, I don't usually get fired up like this. I'm usually very calm. Uh, but you know what? I am just so tired of it. I'm tired of hearing about it. I am I'm just done. I mean, just, you know what he should do? He should retire and he should live in California with all his other hippie friends and whatever friends he went on vacation with. And then, you know, he has the, uh, he's like, he makes the remarks of, oh, it was a quiet offseason, ha, ha, ha. I mean, what a, what a you know, a snobby POS he is. <laughs> yeah. He ought to get smacked. Um, so I'm done with him. I think all most of Packer fans are. He should retire and host Jeopardy. Well, hey, fair enough, fair enough. I, from what I've heard, though, his teammates want him back. So, uh, I mean, you do have you know, that. teammates don't like him. You don't think so? I mean, it sounds like Devontae Adams so. likes him. Well, uh, Devontae likes him because he's, um, because he's good. They no one personally likes him. He has an unlikable personality. So would you put like like Jay Cutler type people don't like him, or you just like from what you I mean, know? Jay Cutler is kind of the guy who's like he's kind of like an ass, but like people think he's funny and right. stuff. Aaron Rodgers is just kind of like the kid that like no one wants to hang out with him because he's just so unlikable. Um, he he's just he's an ass, but he's not funny about it. He's just like he's snobby. He thinks he's better than everybody, which I mean to be fair, he kind of is. But he's just you know a stuck up kind of guy, and he's very just unlikable. So fair enough. You know, yeah. Um, I can't say I, I, I agree with that, but you know what? For for my sake, as a Bears fan, I hope I hope I hope you are right, and he doesn't come back. That would be that'd be fine with me. I love what I am hearing here. Uh, before we let you go, the floor is yours. Minor sports minute. Now to lead into this minor sports minute, I don't want to steal too much of your thunder. A couple weeks ago, we we were watching our beloved Chicago Dogs play. Um, and they're, they're playing the Kane County Cougars, who kind of got rele- relegated to independent ball. Well, me, we and Patrick were in hostile territory here in uh, Kane County um, wa- watching them. We were rooting for the dogs, obviously a lot of Cougars fans. So we were making sure that, you know, hackle hackle the Cougars players. They had a starter for, um, uh, I think it was Chris Worley, I believe his name was. Used to be an MLB pitcher with the uh, Mariners, whatnot. Bounced around the league for a while. The, the Phillies. He was the on Phillies too. With the Phillies. He was in the when team. They had Roy Halladay. And yes. All of them. Yes. He was in the rotation with Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee, and uh, yeah, he was like the fifth starter there. Like decent MLB career. Now he's pitching independent ball. We're like, oh well, he's just kind of stay with the game. Patrick was heckling him because he didn't. He threw. He had a no hitter going through five innings. I think it was four innings. Uh, 
whatnot, and they pulled them after like five and a third. And Patrick was heckling him after five and a third shutout innings, like, oh, he didn't get a quality start. Well, what do you know? He just got signed by the New York Mets, so he is back uh, in the show, or at least in the. Uh, well, he got he got signed by the Mets, and he's going to report to AAA. So but, there you go. He's got a chance. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, so to lead into that, um, in the American Association, number one, first place, Chicago Dogs. And now I will say this, Mitchell, and um, I got to go quick because I only have a minute. Um, you're seeing a lot of guys from this American Association getting called into the MLB. Um, maybe it was kind of a good idea to deplete the minor league system a bit for MLB and let the independent show take on, take them on because you're seeing a lot of guys um, come from that. So that's very interesting. Um now, in the world of golf, we're seeing a lot of drama between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. I know you're a big golf guy. I've been following it a little bit, um, but that seems to be interesting. Kind of bring the sport into a modern look. Um, PGA definitely loves it. It bring, brings in a younger viewership, and a viewership that stays awake during Sunday afternoon when they're actually golfing. Um, in the world of motorsports, IndyCar... Uh, Helio Castro Neves, who doesn't race full-time anymore, um, had a one-race um, contract with a very small team. He ends up winning the Indianapolis 500, his fourth Indianapolis 500, which ties him for the record. Um, he won in 2001, 2003, 2009, and now 2021. So, holy Helio, it happened. Um, and now that standings um, is very close between Pato Award um, and Alex Pillow. It's a very interesting series. I was there last Sunday at Road America. It's such an interesting series. If you're a motorsports fan, an F1 fan especially, it's some of the best racing you'll watch. Now, in the world of NASCAR, um, now, not much has been happening except for Kyle Larson winning. He has won the last four races, including the last three points races. Um, he is on fire. Hendrick Motorsports is on fire. Um, they've had six wins in their past six races um, they're unbelievably fast. Even Brad Keselowski, when he finished second, he said, even when I had a faster car, they had just had the raw power to get past me um, and to keep in the lead. I had nothing. I was finishing second almost makes me feel like I won the race just because he finished second because he knew he wasn't going to be able to beat Kyle Larson. They're that fast. Um, and so that series continues, um, and they will be racing a doubleheader Saturday and Sunday at Pocono in uh, Pennsylvania, the Tricky Triangle. So uh, for those who say that NASCAR is all about ovals, well, this one's a triangle, so get it right. Um, anything else that you want me to cover? NHL, their playoffs, they continue. Um, Tampa Bay right now is a 3-2 lead against the Islanders, and I think Montreal was able to hold on against Vegas. I didn't see the final. I know they were up 3 to nothing on them, so I assume they won. They also take a series advantage, and so that would be pretty cool. Montreal versus Tampa Bay, I think that would be a great series. Um, kind of the new, up-and-coming, fast-paced lightning, um, kind of the modern NHL, and then an old um, uh, stalwart of the sport in Montreal. That would be very cool as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's all I have for you today. This was the Minor Sports Minute. Um, always happy to do it. There you have it. Patrick Cushman, 
brought his fastball today. We appreciate the time. Now, Kyle Larson, that include the all-star race out of those the, the races he was six in a row you said you won, right? Was, is that including the all-star uh, one? Four, he was four in a row, including the all-star one. Wow. But Hendrick Motorsports as a team is six in a row. It's impossible to catch them, Mitchell. I swear to God, they are so fast. It, it, I, I believe it. I believe it. My guy uh, is kind of floundering. Uh, <laughs> oh, what? I uh, can't remember his name anymore. Um, Bubba? Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace, yeah. Been kind of floundering. Although you said he would, so, I mean, it's a dumb prediction. That was a, that was a casual NASCAR fan prediction. But I'm still holding out hope. There's still a couple races left. We'll see what happens. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good stuff today, my friend. Good stuff. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, uh, and have a wonderful rest of your week.